Every wall, every house, everything you could see for a full block was mosaic. And we got out and looked around, and I was so moved by this phenomenal explosion of creativity, like wild and totally uninhibited. <clears throat> I, I actually cried. I was like, this is the most exuberant thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I got to meet the artist. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 171 of the Kameno Voice. Today, I speak with the featured artist of the month for the month of March of 2023 and the owner of Red Barn Art Studio. Please welcome Katie Walton. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are what are some of the tips for you to do the same and find out where they're going? Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome back to the greatest little podcast focused on Camano Island in the Northwest. Hope you guys are having a good week. Um, for those of you who do live in Western Washington, which I presume is like all of my listenership, uh, considering I probably don't have that many people. So all three of you that listen out there, um, I'm assuming you also live on Camino. So uh, I'm, I'm like a psychic. I can read that. But anyways, uh, we had a beautiful weekend. It's nice and sunny. Uh, and this is in March. So uh, I don't know if many of my listeners remember last year in March, but we, I don't think we ever got a sunny weekend in March. Um, uh, correct me in the comments or the, the notes or, or leave a review. Um, if, uh, if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure we didn't get any sunshine in March, uh, at least over a weekend. Um, at least that's what it felt like. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyways, uh, hope you guys had a good week. Um, I am, I had a great weekend. Uh, I think last week I, I was telling you guys that it was a little bit of a rough week. Um, and I was exhausted going into it. Uh, but this week with that sunshine, and um, <clears throat> got a weekend, got a little bit of yard work done, got a little bit of things done around the house. It was my, one of my sons, my youngest, is turning, or turned seven. So happy birthday, Wesley. And uh, yeah, time keeps marching on, I guess. We are now at the point where our, our eldest daughters um, will, well, they'll be 18. So possible to move out of the house by the time that our, uh, in the same length of time that our youngest has been on earth. So that's a weird thing, considering that time feel like it feels like it's flown. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll start a new podcast on how time flies, um, and uh, that'll be coming out this spring. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not starting that podcast. Okay, uh, so jumping into this podcast, um, I get to talk with Katie Walton, um, which right off the bat, we, got to, uh, we sat down, and um, I was wearing my Real Madrid shirt. Um, not my jersey, but I've got a, a nice shirt that I have, uh, or a, not a nice shirt, but it's a polo that has, you know, Real Madrid logo on it. And uh, as soon as we sat down, Katie's like, oh, good, uh, Real Madrid, nice. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you were, you, uh, not that many people around here that I know of follow Real Madrid, at least not Camino. And um, anyway, so right off the bat, she was like, oh, good, you, you go for them. I was like, yes, okay, we can do this then. Um, so... That kind of leads into a whole lot of other stuff that we get into in the conversation. But she is a world traveler. I feel like I've had a couple series of world travelers lately. 
Um, so I've got uh, Katie and, and Sharon from last week who also has done a lot of world traveling. So anyways, all that to say, um, I, I need to get out there more. Um, <laughs> out there being around the world more. But um, anyways, <clears throat> so uh, yes, she's been to Spain. She's been to uh, many other places. Um, and uh, so we're going to get, she did world tours and stuff like that. So, or not world tours, but she was a, like a tour guide around the world into, in different countries. Um, so, but she does a lot of art. She does, um, she does a lot of mixed media, but okay. Normally I don't split up the intro. So I apologize for the jarring switch. Um, I forgot the word mosaic. And so I started rambling for about 30 seconds. So I cut that. Uh, so she does mixed media, but primarily focuses on ceramics and mosaic, um, which is what you'll see when you come see her stuff here in the loft. So be sure to stop by, um, through the third week in April to check that out. Um, but she's, she's really studied 3D, not 3D art in the sense of like graphics, but um, multidimensional art, let's say, um, and, and how that can play into it. And so she does have some background in, you know, your painting and drawing and things like that, but really fell in love with ceramics and mosaics. So you're going to see that. And she's going to talk about some of the pieces that she brought to the loft. Um, but man, had a great conversation with her. She's just got a lot of energy. Um, so I know you're really going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Katie Walton. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with the featured artist of the month for March of 2023, as well as the owner of Red Barn Art Studio. Welcome to the podcast, Katie Walton. Thank you, Brandon. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Katie. Well, um... I am an artist, and I've been living in Bow for about the past 22 years. Wow. And I work as a full-time artist, and I have a teaching school and studio called Red Barn Art Studio out there. Nice. And I was born on Bainbridge Island. Okay. And I'm third-generation Bainbridge Islander. Wow, okay. So I, my parents still live there, and... Uh, I grew up on an island back when it was rural and <laughs> hippie and full of wet, dripping trees and lots and lots and lots of artists. Everybody was an artist that I knew. Okay. So it's almost like old Camino. Just like... Yes. That's exactly how it feels here to me. And a super tight-knit community yeah. like it is here, too. Very cool. Um, so what was it like? What I know we'll get... I want to jump back to your your story, but... What is it like now when you go back and Bainbridge is what it is today? <laughs> uh, honestly, I have a couple strong reactions. <laughs> One of them is that it's, uh, I really understand island life and mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to live in a really tight-knit community where everybody knows everything. So yes. it actually feels a little suffocating to me still. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how uh, built up and wealthy it's become. Yeah. And um, I honestly don't like that. I miss the naturalness that it used to be. Yeah. And the third thing I think is how incredibly lucky I was. What an amazing upbringing and childhood I had there. Yeah. So. That's great. I, I would say, I would guess that a lot of people from Kameno feel very similar. It, it doesn't, hasn't taken the exact same path, but we moved here in 95, which is still 
considered earlier or like later for Kamenoites because you know they've been in here for a long time. But um, even in that time period between '95 and now, mm-hmm. the traffic flow, the the construction, everything is just so much more than it used to be. Yeah. And so you know a lot of the uh, you know if anyone knows Mike Nestor who's been on the island for ever it feels like um he's like yeah we didn't even have electricity or you know power you know water or these things and wow um so you know there's they've it's evolved so much during this time period so yeah and i think ecosystems like both natural and societal ecosystems on islands small changes make a big difference to everyone yes you feel differences much more than in larger areas i think yes yeah, and I do think um, a lot of that, what you talked about, the island life of uh, everyone knows everyone else, um, it's not, it, there's a lot more people here, so it's not as much, but it's still surprising how frequent and ov- often that you hear stories about other people, and like, there's just constant, there's always, you always know everything about everyone else, mm-hmm. um, so that still kind of survives here on Kameno um, today, so... Awesome. So um, what was it like then growing up on Bainbridge Island for you then? It was the gift that I am grateful for all the time. I had, it was an amazing school system. Um, It was very safe, very natural. I spent my whole life outdoors um, on the beach and biking and in the forests. And there was a lot about the outside world that I didn't live with or didn't know. Mm-hmm. And one thing is that everybody was an artist. All my friends, that's all I did was art. Um, all the people I admired, my friends as parents were, you know, opera singers and writers and batik artists. And <laughs> I kind of thought that was the way the whole world was. Yeah. And when I grew up and I realized that the whole world wasn't an artist, it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Wow. Uh, yeah. So obviously that means art was infused throughout your childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming, was that something that you just were like, oh, everyone grows up and they become an artist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you do art every day. You just do. Yeah. And the, the question is, what kind of art should I do now? Yeah. So I did everything. Yeah. And everyone around me did too. It was a very, very creative, natural, beautiful place to live. Yeah. And I took the beauty for granted yeah. until I started traveling. And I went, oh, wow, it's, the Northwest is beautiful. Yeah. Well, and that's something um, uh, I've definitely, <clears throat> you know, I grew up on, on Kamehano. <clears throat> and my friend, one of my friends uh, growing up, he became a pilot. And he's traveled, at this point, he's traveled all over the world. Uh, and he's talked to a lot of people who's traveled all over the world. And he's like, you know, the amount of pilots I talk to who have been everywhere, the amount of people they're like, but there's not anything like the Northwest or the Northwest is still one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And um, it really, you know, when you see the pictures of um, just around the world of some of the most beautiful places, mm-hmm. it's crazy when you start looking and you compare those to what you can get up, you know, go up Highway 20 and go into the Cascade Mountains and you start seeing the viewpoints and the, mm-hmm. um, it's, it is, it really is an um, amazing place, beautiful place to live. Yeah. Um, you know, we always think about world traveling and going to these other places, but really the Northwest has a lot of that. 
Especially if you're in summer. (laughs) Yeah, right? In the summer. (laughs) Yes. Um, Awesome. So um, what were the types of art that you really got into when you were younger then? Well, I always painted and drew. Always. (laughs) And I had, there was an excellent art education back then in the 70s and 80s. It was amazing. So I've had art instruction since I was about five. And yeah, I was painted and drew. That was completely normal. And then when I got older is when I got really interested in 3D, in clay and mosaics. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, One of the things I want to pick up on that you mentioned um, is that you mentioned that like growing up there were everyone was an artist and there was many of the people that did that as a profession mm-hmm. so f- for you growing up it wasn't a stretch to think oh I can be an artist and do that as my f- profession oh yeah when I was I remember writing a thing when I was five what are you going to be when you grow up and I said an artist and a mom <laughs> it was like completely obvious it never once crossed your mind that you couldn't be an artist or that you didn't know all the options of being an artist yeah And I just, I find it fascinating. I've been, uh, you know, we were talking before the podcast started about kids and, um, you know, in one of the books I was reading, they were talking about child raising and uh, they were saying this family grew up and they decided they were very, I think there were two scientists or like uh, psychologists that got married and they were like, kind of wanted to do an experiment, but also wanted to have kids that were really into chess. So did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this Yes. So they were talking about it and they were saying they, they put on the wall their, throughout their house was just ch- heroes of chess. People that were like some of the best chess players in the world. Um, they grew up playing chess. They were playing chess since they could, you know, understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the eldest one, I think, became a world champion at like 14 or something. The mm-hmm. next youngest was like 10. And then the next youngest was like nine. Or something. It was like ridiculous how young they were. But it was that mentality of, especially in today's world, anything is possible if you believe it's possible and you, your body actually thinks that's normal. Right, right. Um, yeah. Because I definitely, you know, I feel like in the 90s there was kind of a pullback from the arts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And kind of like, well, you need to be in the STEMs or you need to be in these fields or this field in order to make money. And so these are the only ways you can really make money besides a few outliers. But... Um, if you don't grow up with that mentality and you grow up with this idea that I can be whatever I want, um, provided you have the talent and stuff, but like, if you believe it's normal, then it becomes easier and accessible to actually do. Yeah, it it is a normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. STEM really interfered with that. Yeah. Until it turned into STEAM. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, um, it's fascinating because... It, it, it ecosystems kind of that idea of mm-hmm. like one group kind of deciding well this is what's best for us as a country if we really push in this direction mm-hmm. um and we're seeing a little bit of that fallout like yes we had some pushes into these the stem side mm-hmm. um which is great i mean that's what my background was and stuff like that but we lost a lot of the art side uh and not lost but it made it less desirable mm-hmm. Um, and then it also really pushed aside the, um, per, the side perfect, the, uh, what is it? Contractor positions of electricians, plumbers, right? The tech, the yes. Tech. The, the tech, people um, that, yeah, 
The vocational trades. There we go. Those. Yes, the trades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trades. That's yep. what I was, the word I was looking for. Yeah. And we're really seeing the fallout of that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not that one side or this side is better. And just because certain sides, like, you know, I think from a perspective of uh, whether it's grading or just seeing, like, getting kids through and being able to judge on an absolute black and white, it's great if you're in the maths because you can just say, no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Two plus two equals four, not five, so you're wrong. It's a lot harder to judge the arts, the, you know, kind of the soft skills um, or some of those other things, so. Mm. You know, that since I grew up with such a rich and diverse artistic life, and it included everything, theater and music and dancing, everything, When my kids were little, I noticed that there was nothing in the Skagit Valley. There was nothing for artists. There was an occasional, like, bring an artist in for a week, which is not an art education. You wouldn't do that for math, would you? Yeah. You get a week of math a year, huh? (laughs) Right? Or a week of writing. (laughs) Yeah. So that prompted me and my um, oldest son, when he was little, he's, he's an artist. And I noticed right away there was absolutely nothing to support you at all. The arts aren't thriving through at all for any other kids. So I started my um, company, which is Red Barn Art Studio, teaching art. And I've been dedicated to that for the past 12 years as an art school for kids. And um, I volunteered in every classroom, you know, uh, preschool, you name it, any, any group. And then I started this regular after school classes and summer camp because of that reason. I saw this deficit in society saying, wow. And now, 12 years later, I'm seeing the fruits of that, and I'm seeing a lot of the kids that I taught are in the arts, and they are choosing it as professional yeah. uh, careers. Yeah. So. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I do think it's something, you know, I, me being someone that from a younger age didn't really, I wasn't interested in arts. Um, I wasn't good at them either, <laughs> which might have been the reason. Um, but as I've gotten older and as you start seeing things and, and, and even realizing that a lot of the things that we do enjoy are because of the arts. Um, and when you start looking at what, you know, you think of like cities or things like that, that become the same because we've, we've checked the boxes, we got the things we need, all these things. Um, but you don't have uniqueness. You don't have something that's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would say like over the time, especially, you know, Lydia has been a big part of that too, talking with her and, um, but just over time seeing that, like they're like, what is the world if you have all the money, but there's no art and no music and no all of that side. Um, maybe we have some really cool technology, but we're missing some of the heart there. And yeah. So it's really cool. And we forget that virtually everything we see is designed by an artist of some kind. For example, everything we wear, every ad we see on every single magazine, on the side of a bus, every piece of architecture, the colors that were designed when you, you know, when you take a big box store that's beige and square, there was some art education lacking, right? (laughs) The way you design stores, the way you, um, virtually everything we see and touch is designed by somebody. Yeah. And we forgot. Yeah. Yeah. We forget that our world is completely visual. Yeah. So that's very cool. So then as you were going to school, you know, going um, in high school and and taking art and stuff like that, what was your plan coming out of high school? Were you planning, did you go to college or were you looking at other options? 
Well, thank you. That was a great question. So in high school, I was really interested in languages. I loved language. I studied Japanese for a long time. And then I was invited to go on a trip to Nicaragua and live with, um, go to Ometepe Island and live with a family. And I didn't know anything about it or Spanish. And I was like, sure. And it was a seven day trip and it changed my life completely. And I came back and I said, oh, now I'm going to be a Spanish major. And this is what I'm going to do with my life. So I went to Gonzaga University and I majored in Spanish. Okay. Um, And (laughs) to be honest, I actually never thought about what I would do with my degree or what kind of a job I wanted. I just followed my heart. So I finished college. I studied abroad and met my husband in Spain. Okay. While I was studying there and I brought him home. And then when I was done, I was like, huh, I wonder what I should do. I really never thought about it. And then (laughs) uh, a friend was talking to me about becoming a tour guide. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went to work working for Rick Steves, Europe Through the Back Door. Okay. And I became a tour guide in Spain. Oh, really? Okay. So I worked for three years, and I uh, led groups of Americans through Spain, Portugal, Europe. And then I did adventure nature tours with earthbound expeditions in Costa Rica, Guatemala, Belize. And then I did humanitarian trips to Nicaragua. Okay. So for three years, I went hard and fast, 15 countries a year. Wow. And had the time of my life. And um, then I decided to settle down. We settled in Skagit Valley. And I had children. And my life changed again. <laughs> so. so when you started getting into like touring and stuff like that, and you were doing these uh, tours all over the world... What were the things, uh, well, I guess of those countries, all the different places you were at, what were your favorite countries to go visit? So I've traveled a whole lot since then. So my countries that I really love, uh, I would say are Jordan, Cuba. Mm, I had a really special experience in USSR back when it was Soviet. And... Costa Rica. Oh, okay. Those are my favorite. Very cool. Yeah. We've always wanted to, um, well, I've always wanted to. Again, we were talking before the podcast, but um, my favorite uh, football team or soccer team for U.S. Uh, is Real Madrid. And I've always wanted to go see an El Clasico, which is their big rival uh, at the Bernabeu, which is oh, the yeah. Madrid Stadium. So. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. So, But we also are like, well, if we go to Spain, we want to spend... Like, probably, like, two weeks there to just really, like, live there and enjoy it. And, yeah. Um, you know, we, we were able to do a trip to Tahiti earlier this year with the oh. family. Um, <gasps> Tahiti! Yeah. Have you been there? No. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, and so, I mean, for me, I was trying to think, like, when I go on these trips and, and um, you know, you go on the trips and you get to experience all these different things and you see all these cool things. But I was trying to think, like, what are the things that really stand out to me when I'm on those trips? Mm. And for me, it's the, for me, it's always a slice of life times on the trips where you're just, you get to go to the grocery store and you, you're just living like a normal life. Um, so, you know, going to the grocery store, walking with the kids down the road to go do something. Um, it's not like the extravagant things that you're out doing. It's the just living in the house, kind of living and getting to meet the people of that area and, um, 
So that's that's why we really want to go when we go to Spain. We want to be there for a couple of weeks because we just want to like, you know, rent an Airbnb or house there and and live out of the house for two weeks and yeah. just kind of experience the culture. We like experiencing it from talking with the people and living with the people, not necessarily just hitting it real quick and then being on our way. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah, for me, it's the same. It's all about the friendships that I create and the extraordinary, extraordinary encounters with people. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And Spaniards are so, like, interested and lively and, like, really care and look at you and curious and, yeah. yeah. No, They're I'd wonderful. I'd be very excited to go there. Um, that was on our, our trip to Tahiti. The, the house, the person who owned the house that we were renting from, uh, you know, they came by and they swept the, they actually like raked the sand every day um, to get any of the fallen leaves and different things like that every day. But um, then she like, the kids were really interested in all the coconuts and everything. So she showed us all these different stages of a coconut. And so she's like, at this stage is like when it's going to seed and the inside of the coconut's almost like cotton candy. It's mm. edible, but it's like, it's huh. anyways, all the milk and the flesh of the coconut go into start becoming a seed. So it's almost like coconut but, or like cotton candy. It's crazy. So we had that and then we had like fresh coconut juice or yeah, juice, right? Yeah. Uh, coconut milk. And, um, you know, anyways, it was just fun, but they showed us all these different stages of the coconut and then like how they use it. And, um, yeah, like again, it's just, those That's are the, the pieces. Best. That so cool. Yeah. So like things about life yeah. that you would never know. Yeah. So that was really cool. It was fun to see all that. So, how cool! Um, and then, uh, so then you got to do a lot of trips throughout uh, Central America. And then, what were the biggest differences when you, um, you know, obviously Spain they speak Spanish, and then a lot of Central American countries speak Spanish. What were some of the biggest things you noticed between the two when you would go to one or the other, as far as like the cultural differences or, or the people or things like that? Um, you mean in the Spanish-speaking world? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. Because I've spent yeah. a lot of time in Central America, different countries oh, there. Yeah. Uh, and I love the culture, and I love um, talking with the people and, and stuff. And I I just don't know what to expect if, we, you know, when we get to go to Spain, what it, the difference is going to be. So when you think of Spain, think of France. Okay. Very, uh, very sophisticated, very high-quality living um, it's particular. It's extremely clean. Okay. It's one of the most beautifully kept countries you'll ever see. People are absolutely meticulous in the way that they dress and the way they take care of things. Um, they're very proud of their culture. And Central America, I feel like, is just like this nature oasis. And it's kind of got some wild and crazy to it, right? Yeah. And Spaniards are, are very different from Central Americans too. Yes. There's not, they're warm and interesting and lively, but they're definitely European. Yeah. So I would say France would be the best way to imagine what it's going to be like. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, now, in the artwork from the two countries or the, that, those areas, do you feel like that's reflected in that as well? Like with the Spanish art and stuff like that, is it very crisp, pristine, exactly how they want it? So the Spanish art tradition is phenomenal and amazing. And a lot of Spanish art tradition started, starts with uh, the Moorish influence. So uh, the Islamic Moroccan world dominated Spain for 800 years and brought with them tiles, architecture, 
patios, um, the whole aesthetic sense that we think of Spain. Spanish architecture is one of the most beautiful things they've left in the world, which has come over to Latin America. Okay. So when you think of beautiful Latin American colonial cities, that's from Spain, which is from the Arab world. So okay. it's a direct translation. When oh, you think cool. of Mexican Talavera tiles, think Arab. Okay. That's the lineage for it. Um, and then the Spanish painting tradition really started in mm, kind of Renaissance era, a little bit later. And the money that came from the New World to Spain yeah. uh, helped create a phenomenally beautiful the art of cathedrals, um, funded all the art schools, and so the Spanish art tradition in itself is its own thing to study. Okay. Yeah. Very um, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. So then, um, when you think back of your time as, this is <clears throat> from personal experience, whenever I think of times, even like, even Tahiti, which was just this year, when you think of times when you've traveled in the past, they kind of take on like a dreamlike state of like, I can't believe I was doing those things. Um, is that the same for you? And if so, what are the things that still stand out as like, I can't believe I got to do like these things when I was doing that? That is such a good question because travel and the energy and the time and the money and all that travel takes is a huge portion of my life. Like I don't have fancy couches or furniture, but I've traveled. Yeah. And that's where I've always put my energy and resources into. So when I come home to my normal life and all these influences and feelings and thoughts, like how do you bring it back to your normal life? The way I do it is through art. Okay. So all of my art reflects moments, materials, um, treasures that I've bought and I incorporate into my art. And it's for me a way to bridge the unconscious experiences the sensuality the the things I've learned with my hands into creating art and so yeah. that's the way I can integrate better my travel world with my normal world here yeah that's yeah. that's really cool I think that's really you know I think some people take to like journaling or things like that right. um, that's really cool you've got an outlet that you kind of re relive and re-express these, these things that you've experienced. Yeah, yeah. I don't write about it. Yeah. <laughs> I make stuff. <laughs> nice. So yeah. then, um, and then also, bringing it back, we've got, you come from all of that, of traveling and doing all that stuff, and then you, you come back to Skagit. What drew you to Skagit versus Bainbridge again? Well, um, I'd been living in Seattle with my husband. He was had just gotten his green card coming from Spain to America and we were living in Seattle looking for his next career move and he has a background in um, food science and technology and he got a job offer at Sukuma's processing plant. Oh yeah, very cool. Being the plant manager there and I had never been to Skagit Valley and I was like, all right, let's try this and we came up here and I was like, huh, how come I've never heard of this place? Yeah. Which shows you how funny that is that on Bainbridge I was just it was like Bainbridge and Seattle was kind of my world yeah um so we came up here he started his career in food science there and that's why we live here okay yeah very cool it is uh, I, 
feel like it's becoming a little bit more. Uh, we now live in Skagit, so I've gotten to know more. But it is one of those weird places that <clears throat> the people that know Skagit and have lived or grown up in Skagit or, you know, live there, know how special it is yeah. from a spot. Yeah. But I do feel like it's one of those places that, like, you go south, they're like, Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon. Yeah. Is that south of Bellingham? Mm-hmm. Like, they completely skip it. Yep. Um, which has been a benefit to us lately, but... Um, at some point, that'll they'll figure it out. But that, I think that's such an interesting thing about Skagit is it yeah. is one of those like you just don't think about that area, right? And one thing I, I think about that is that I love the lack of pretension in Skagit Valley. Yeah, and I think mm. because it's a place of farmers and people who are really grounded, people who love nature, they're not so excited to say the Skagit way and we're so great and. The Skagit magazine, they're, they're busy living yeah. and raising families and connected, and they're not about showing off. Yeah. And some places have a little more of that. Yes. A little more identity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you know, that was something my dad really enjoyed about living on Camino was um, growing up and stuff like that. He's like, the amount of people I met that were their net worth was re- like so high mm-hmm. and yet they walked into the marketplace and they'd be in jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. You would never know that they had any sort of wealth. Yeah. They were just a regular person. Yeah. Um, I love that. And, uh, so he, you know, he said, he, uh, what did he used to say? He said, you say we are hicks with money. <laughs> People that live on Kamena <laughs> are hicks with money. And, um, but he always loved that cause he, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't care who I'm talking to. Like, I don't care how much you have money. I'm just having a conversation with him. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think Skagit is similar in that sense. Yeah. There's not a sense of status. Yeah. The first question, like rarely when you meet people are people are like, what do you do? Almost never does mm-hmm. that happen in Skagit. And I love that. Yeah. It's like, who are you? Yeah. Who's your family rather than what is your job status? Right. How much money do you make? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> the funny thing is I have been, uh, so we've been getting involved a little bit in the uh, uh, agritourism side um, and really just learning a little bit about it. Um, one of the guys that's uh, heading a lot of those things, I've, I've talked with him a few different times. So um, so he keeps me in the loop on some of that stuff. Um, but there's a couple things. There tr- one really cool thing about Skagit is right now um, Washington State and Skagit County are trying to work to make sure they lock in the agricultural land of Skagit. Mm-hmm. So it legally cannot be changed and turned into commercial property. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now it's just working out the details of what does that look like? What does that mean? When does it slip over to commercial versus, you know, staying agriculture? Mm-hmm. And that's where there's a little bit of disagreement. But overall, everyone's agreed Skagit needs to stay farmland because we need that production. We need those farmers to stay here. Yeah. Um, but the other funny thing that's come out of that is they're like, so Olympia, obviously the state capital, Skagit is like a thorn in the side for them because they can't pin down. They're not, they're not conservative. They're not liberal. Mm-hmm. They are Skagit. Mm-hmm. And so like every time they try and like do an olive branch or anything like on one of those sides, they get slapped away and they're like, well, what do you guys want? <laughs> That's so true. Oh, my gosh. So I just thought that was hilarious when they were talking about that because they were, you know, we were on a phone call, a Zoom call with these people. And they're like, you know, Olympia just doesn't know what to do with Skagit. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, 
And I think Sketch is kind of proud about that. Yes. <laughs> You're right. I love it. So, anyways, that. Um, so then getting settled in in Skagit and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you guys start a family. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that for you guys getting started up in a new area with kids and all that? It was really different. Moving out to Bow was, I lived in Mount Vernon first, which was mm-hmm. wonderful and so connected. And then I moved to Bow to the country and I live in the farmlands surrounded by farmers and horses. And it was a complete culture shock for me. Wow. And I have learned so much. I am so grateful for what I've learned about farmers and farmland and the way that people think, mm-hmm. what's important to them. I definitely don't fit in. Um, <laughs> I live on property. And when I first saw the house that we were chose to live in, we had this big, beautiful barn that was a horse barn. And I instantly was like, oh, there's my art barn. That's going to turn into my art barn. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like an artist among farmers. And I really had to learn how they think. And it was lonely to live there. And now I'm grateful every second of my life for the uh, independence and resilience and daily mindfulness of the power of nature in my life. Yeah. It's definitely the biggest influence of all of our lives is nature out there. That's awesome. Very cool. So then what kind of prompted you to start? uh, You mentioned already that it was, you saw a lack of arts in the school systems and in the area. So when you started noticing that, how did you kind of come up with the idea of creating Red Barn Art Studio? Well... I was actually in Dakota Arts buying supplies. Dakota Arts is a little art store in Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. And I was buying supplies. (laughs) And the woman who sold me supplies says, hey, do you teach art? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, we need an art teacher for kids. You want to do it? And I said, okay. So I did. And the second I started teaching art, I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do in life. And at that exact moment, I was also in, um, I went back to school for art. And my plan, I went to uh, Skagit studying painting. And my plan was to go on and get a bachelor's in fine arts and just continue the academic path in art. But the minute I started teaching, I said, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And from that second on, I, I taught art and then I um, turned my studio into a teaching studio and just taught like crazy everything all the time everywhere (laughs) yeah yeah I discovered what I'm here for very cool yeah so nice so when you were getting started with teaching art did you start with drawing or painting yeah started with drawing and painting yeah yeah and then instantly it went straight into crafts and then I've done a lot of ceramics I do mosaics Um, I do a really fun Christmas crafts for kids and I never repeat a lesson So one of the really fun, exciting things for me is I create all my own lessons and I base it on my travels, my passions, things I learn, um, things that I think bring kids together, things that, teaching things about life through art to kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, and I got to say, our kids last year, or at least three of our kids, were able to take one of your classes you did here at the Commons and um, I was blown away because I wasn't, when it comes to kid 
art camps and stuff like that, like I always assume that it's like, okay, so they're probably going to do some drawing and painting and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I kind of expected to, them to come home with some, a lot of papers of drawings and paintings that they had done over the week. And, um, when they got done by the end of the week, they had uh, a mosaic, they had a ceramic, they had a very large art painting and then some, like there was more to it than that. They did some clay. I mean, they just did so many different things and they were so excited about everyone and every day was different for them. So they never got, uh, not that they would get bored, but they never, they were always completely something new. It wasn't even something like, oh, we're going to try this technique now. Yeah. Um, so. And that's something that's super important to me. And you hit all sorts of different uh, <laughs> modalities with kids. Some kids are amazing drawers, but they don't do color. Or you get kids all different types of strengths and weaknesses. And by radically thinking differently, what I'm trying to do is to help people to see, help children to see differently, to problem solve, uh, to try and try again, yeah. to figure it out on their own, and to discover. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Very cool. So then when you were... Um, when you teach other classes, uh, you've got other kid camps you do throughout the year. Do you follow a similar pattern where you're just hitting a lot of different things? Or do you have ones that are also more focused on specific types? I do weekly after school classes and those are focused. So okay. that will be the same thing, painting or drawing. But yet within that will be like acrylics, watercolor, pen and ink, different types um, of media. But when I do camps, that's kind of my extravaganza. That's... Yeah. That's when I pull out all the stops, and I choose a theme. Um, this year, my theme is going to be around the world. Okay. And every day, we're going to do an art form and an inspiration from a different country. Okay. Yeah, so we'll travel around the world. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. And I, if I'm correct, I think the links for those, those classes, are you doing just one this year? Or yeah. One? Awesome. Um, I believe that link is up and live, so we will have that in the show notes. So be sure to check out the show notes and uh, sign your kids up because it'll probably fill up pretty quick. Um, do you know how many kids you're doing this year? I think the max will be twelve. Okay. Yeah, and awesome. that's going to be April. I mean, August fourteenth through the eighteenth. Fourteenth through the eighteenth. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We'll definitely have that in the show notes. So be sure to sign up on there. Awesome. So then, as that's continued to evolve, you guys also you have the big barn and stuff like that. So do you do you do classes, I know you do the kid classes, but you also do adult ones as well. Yeah, yeah, about maybe eight years ago, um, a lot of parents would say, I want to take art classes. And I was like, no, no, I just do kids. And then I'm like, well, you know, all right, I'll try it with adults. <laughs> and so I came up with Artie Parties. So Artie Parties... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. ...is, this is the way, a lot of people have heard of like paint and sip, but this is, this is different. This yeah. is my take. Okay. And it's a three-hour evening party, and I love beginners. I love working with people that are not artists. Artists always take their own classes, and I'm not interested in teaching artists. I'm interested in teaching people in the population who don't do art but are interested in being creative. And so at an arty party, we have um, fun beverages, fun adult beverages, uh -huh. and fabulous playlists. And then we'll do a project, and it can be I've done everything. Uh, ceramics, mosaics, crafts, painting. And it's a way to tap into your inner muse, get creative, and discover. And they're not simple crafts that you just follow something, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're meant to 
help you discover what you have inside of you and learn. Okay. And I've since then done, I don't know, several hundred arty parties. And now I am working in collaboration in downtown Mount Vernon with a new floral store called Bloom Floral Shop. And we do a combination flower arty party. Okay. So one of my dearest friends, the owner of Bloom, is Sheena Wilson. And she's a phenomenal florist, and it's her store. So we bring groups of people in the evening with fun beverages and great play, great music. And she teaches flower arranging. And then I take over for the second half, and I teach you how to paint and draw your flowers. Okay. So at the end of the night, you come away with beautiful flowers and art. Very that cool. That you created. So that's, that's what awesome. I'm doing now. And um, we do a different, a different one every month. Okay. Very cool. That's awesome. So then, um, so we've talked about, like, you started with some uh, drawing and painting and stuff like that. When did you get into the more, the 3D, the mosaic and the ceramics and stuff like that? What drew you to those? Well, when I was a senior in college, uh, in my last class, I took a ceramics class. And as I did this, I thought, oh, wow. Huh. This is the one thing I can see myself doing eight or nine hours a day, every single day of my life. Huh. Wow. Gosh. Huh. And I was like, I'm a Spanish major. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, well. So from that minute on, I um, always made sure that my home, wherever I lived, had a little ceramic studio, and then I would buy all the equipment I needed. And so for the past 25 years plus, I've always done ceramics. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So how did you get into mosaics? Well, it was a very powerful moment. I was um, traveling in Cuba, and my Cuban friend said, let's go visit this guy. Let's go visit this special place called Fusterlandia. And I was like, what's that? He goes, well, it's the special neighborhood in Cuba, in Havana, that the artist, Jose Fuster, he's called the Picasso of the Caribbean. And I was like, okay. So we pull up in the van with, you know, all the tourists in the back. And what do I see but an entire block, like a full block of houses that are all been mosaic And I went, oh, my gosh. And this particular artist loves mosaics. So he mosaic his entire house, his bathroom, the upstairs, every wall. And then he decided to do his neighbors. And the neighbors joined in. And so every wall, every house, everything you could see for a full block was mosaic. Wow. And we got out and looked around. And I was so moved by this phenomenal explosion of creativity, like wild and totally uninhibited. <clears throat> I, I actually cried. I was like, this is the most exuberant thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I got to meet the artist. Wow. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I was in his house touring, looking at all his mosaics, having my moment of, like, I don't even have words for how exciting it was for me. And then a little Volkswagen pulls into his um, carport, and I see this little man in a pink shirt, really short little man in a pink shirt, walk out. And my Cuban friend whispers, that's Jose Fuster. And I went, oh. So I went down. And I went to him and I said, you know, 
Mr. Fuster, Senior Fuster? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm so happy. You've made me so happy with what you've done. And he looks at me and he goes, but por qué estás llorando? Why are you crying, senorita? And I was like, because I'm so moved. I'm so amazed by what you've done. And he pats me on the cheek and he goes, oh, be happy. And he goes inside his house. So I came home and I said, I must do mosaics. That is all I'm interested in. So I started taking classes down in Seattle. Um, at Seattle Mosaics. And started buying all these material. And that became an obsession for me. And that's the only art that I want to make is mosaics. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. So... <clears throat> um, uh, tell us a little bit about your, the process for mosaics, because I, I would say, um, from an uneducated artist uh, about things like this, like me, um, sometimes it's like, is it? You would think that maybe it's just like I know it's not just putting stuff down, but like you can sometimes see it, and you're like, I'm not sure how you make that not unique, but like patterned right. and all that stuff. So what, what's kind of your process when you do that? Uh, it's a really good question because I get this a lot. And people think, I get a lot of boxes of dishes from people that are broken. And they say, here's some old dishes. Just take a hammer and smash it. And then you just make it cool. So that's not what I do. There is a form where people do that. Um, what I do is I take glass, cathedral glass, and I hand cut every piece. And then I glue it down or uh, use mastic to adhere it to a surface. And then I use grout. So it's kind of the imagining teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny tiles. So you grout it, and then it lets it dry. Okay. So the art form in it is pattern, color, texture, and line, and shape. So the artistic principles are the same as if it was painting and drawing, but you're adding in tactile texture um, and the difficulty of cutting I use glass, the difficulty of cutting glass or ceramics Yeah. Um, it's like doing a really complicated puzzle and when, if you like puzzles it's a very meditative art form where you sit down and it's very slow it's extremely slow and you get what you get. You don't get to mix a color. Like if you want like a soft green in painting, you can mix till you get it right. With, with mosaics, you don't. You get what you get, and it has to fit right. So the art is takes a lot of designing ahead of time. Yeah. And then a lot of skill and the execution of it so that it's good. Yeah. And if you use the wrong um, substrates or adhesives or any of the chemicals that you use along the way, it breaks. So when you see mosaics that have broken, that are outside, they look really bad. Yeah. It's because it wasn't done properly. Okay. So getting the science part of it right is really important. Yeah. So it combines science, artistic technique, and um, like physical technique, doing it right. And that's where I find the challenge of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you never use a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. That reminds me of, uh, uh, actually, I think it was last month's featured artist, but she does acrylic pouring. Oh. And she was talking about, like, you have to get the mixture just right, or it'll be too thin or too thick, or, you know, it'll just, it won't turn out right. So she's like, you're kind of doing both science and art at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Very cool. So yeah. when you were learning, starting to learn this, um, was it a surprise? Did you kind of already know a little bit about it? Or were you fairly surprised when they were like, how, when you realized how tedious and slow it is doing this? Hmm. <clears throat> I did a lot of really ugly art, really <laughs> ugly mosaic stuff. I had a lot of exuberance mm-hmm. and I felt that, ooh, that's so exciting. I can just make a mosaic. And so, oh, I had some bad stuff. <laughs> and I've made, I'm very proud that I have made every mistake in the book. <laughs> so that makes me a very good teacher because I know exactly what your mind thinks is going to work and where you make those um, shortcuts in your brain yep. and where you think this doesn't matter. So, ha, 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 ha. So I made all the mistakes myself. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Leave no stone unturned or no glass unbroken. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, um, so that leads us into... Tell us about the pieces uh, that you're bringing to the loft. Um, and you mentioned something about the, the Birds of Hope as well that you uh, wanted to touch on. So the collection that I brought to the loft this month is all focused on spring. So birds and flowers is my focus. Okay. And it all started, the collection I did all started with the Birds of Hope, which started with COVID. Okay. So as an art teacher, especially at my own studio, um, COVID was a real bummer. So <laughs> I had to completely stop teaching and figure out a new, reinvent myself and what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I decided to only work creating art. And an inspiration I had was making little mosaic birds. And they were really cute. And my friend Maria said, oh, let's put them on little stands. And then we came up with the idea of creating them as birds of hope. Okay. And I started selling them online, and they took off like wildfire. And they became like, they sustained my art my career for a long time, and they became gifts that I would deliver to nursing homes, to mother-in-laws, to people who were sick, lonely people during COVID. Yeah. And then it spread all over the country, and there's people in the, all over the world that have the birds. Okay. And I've made easily over a thousand of them. Okay. And so I have birds of hope here at the loft, and then... From that, I've expanded onto um, bird houses, mosaic bird houses, um, bird baths, and then I've brought in the theme of flowers. So I have a lot of flower mosaic mirrors. Okay. And so the theme is really the pieces are all really really vibrant. Um, with lots of texture, lots of color, and they're meant to bring joy. They're nice. meant to bring joy. Awesome. Very cool. So for those listening, um, she'll be up uh, on the Featured Artist of the Month for The Loft um, through the month of uh, into April, I think the second or third week in April, usually. Yeah. Um, so be sure to stop in to check them out. So awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. All right. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Uh, my pajamas. Nice. Fuzzy red pajamas with polka dots. Very good. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, the, any of the sleepwear or any of the, like, just comfy purchases, those are probably my favorite purchases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. 
who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Ooh. Oh, that's a biggie. You know, I would say as an artist in my artist life, it would be Mary Iverson, who is my mentor. Okay. And she is the head of the art department at Skagit Valley College. And she has always exemplified for me who I want to be, especially as a female artist, and how to follow my own path. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Mary. All right. This is a fill-in-the-blank question. Okay. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to play. I've always wanted to be a trumpet player in a mariachi band. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, who's an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Emily Wadalow. Emily Fix. Fekas. Yes. Fekas. Yes. yes. That's who you should interview. Awesome. I have interviewed her, oh. um, although it was before she was Fekas, so. Okay. <laughs> yes. Maybe the transition from Wadalow to Fekas. There we go. Okay. All right. Um, and lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, that would be to relax. That it's okay to relax. <laughs> I didn't learn that for a long time, yeah. just a few years ago. So I would have definitely taught myself then to yeah. chill out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Brandon. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's been great. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Katie Walton for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And be sure to share this episode and our other episodes um, about the greatest little podcast uh, focused on Camino Island in the Northwest. So really appreciate you guys, and I'll see you next time.